Well, good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between the two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call, 499-9526. And, of course, you stick a 225 in front of there, and you can call us from anywhere you might be. Of course, we were out for the last two weeks with recorded shows. Right. Had a little downtime, and, of course, we're back live and in person. So if you got a question, this is the time to call. Especially if you've been hanging on to it for a week or so. <laughs> yeah, if your car's been sitting there broke for two weeks, it's <laughs> <laughs> definitely a time to call in. Last week, we did a little bit of a different show, something we hadn't done before or hadn't done in a while, I'll put uh-huh. it that way. Had Mr. Bob McCarron and talking about the old Fords and the flathead v8s and right i got a pretty good bit of positive feedback on that so we may start doing a few of those into the future sounds great those yeah. were those are some neat old cars <laughs> they really were and of course the the normal format of the show we do the questions and answers and call in i think most people really like that they sure. like hearing that kind of stuff because they pick up tips and what have you but every once in a while we throw a little interview show in there there you go you never know okay <laughs> <laughs> something occurred to you during the week something after yeah. go off the air. You can always get your questions answered at our website. The address is www.agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Just take the acronym Altazan's Garage Company. That's right. Get you to our site. There's a contact bar on every page. You can send Lewis an email any time of the day or night using the form from the site. That's and correct. he'll get you an answer back within 24 hours, yep. sometimes sooner. That's right. And there's tons and tons of things to do while you're on that site. Of course, the contact bar is one of the handy features. A lot of folks do avail themselves of that. But there's also a section in there on vehicle questions, which is well over a 1,000 questions that other people have asked with a short to-the-point answer. Correct. So if you do a little search, you may just find what you're looking for right there and not even have to bother sending a and contact. If, not that I mind. but Yeah, and if you want to know a little bit more about a certain subject, you mm-hmm. can go to the detailed topics That's section. right. Considerably more about a specific topic, and that's going to be your detailed topics. Put a series in there a few weeks back on the air conditioning, and that's a four-part thing. It tells a, you, I would say it would tell the layperson basically everything they want to know about air conditioning. Sure. I mean, I'm not saying it's a professional course on air conditioning refrigeration, but... The average it, do-it-yourselfer would take a lot of tips from it. That's right. It starts out with how to check the electrical side of the system, make sure the compressor's turning, where the relays are, how to check relays, all that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. Moves on to gauges, what they mean, what the pressures are, what the relationship of one gauge to another. Then it moves to leaks, finding leaks repairing leaks that and then the final segment is on actual major repair like replacing a compressor and there's quite a few surprises in there that a lot of people aren't aware of so sure. if you're interested in air conditioning at all or want to try to do a little air conditioning work on your own car certainly read that keep you out of a lot of trouble if if not anything else right put one on there this morning on a brand spanking new feature that we've added to the site and we pretty much update that site on a weekly basis there's something new on there every week well, this is the first totally new function in at least a year. Uh-huh. And what this is, it's a reminder system, and I think it's going to be really, really good. It will go online, actually beta testing it right now. Got certain users that we've given access extra to. access to so they can test it for us, and everything looks great. We're slated to go online July 1st. Right. But what this will be, let's say you want to have a general inspection done on your car once a year, which is a very good idea. In other words, instead of trying to keep track of, well, I need to change this this many miles, do this, what a lot of folks elect to do is simply bring the car to us once a year, and we do a general inspection called annual inspection, tell them everything they need, and that way they can get the car in real good shape without right. having to do a lot of thinking. But they said it's kind of hard to remember to make an appointment sometimes. So what this does, you can go in, and 
you can select either email, text, or both. Uh-huh. Create your own message or just some pre-selected messages in there. Just type it in. Tell it when you want to hear. Like, I want to hear once a year on this date. I want to get a reminder. Or I want to get a reminder next Friday. Or I want to get a reminder on this date. Or every Friday, I want to get a reminder. Every Saturday, remind me to listen to automotive show. Whatever right. criteria you want to put in, you push the button, and reminders are going to come to you, either email or text or both, whichever you select. That's great. So very, very like a- handy little feature. And I think it's going to be a real big, big thing on the site. That'll come online on July the 1st. Now, like I said, you can actually go in. There's an example of it now that you can look at, see what uh-huh. it's going to look like and all that. And you have to be a registered user to use this you system. You are going to have to register to use it simply because anytime you give people access to this, what you don't want is a spam bot going there sending reminders to your the United list. States using right. your server. <laughs> exactly. So the only thing that registration is, it's basically just you're going to go in there, create a username that you're going to use. That's going to identify you. Put in your email address. It's going to send an email to you, and you're going to click a link saying, yes, this is me, and yes, I want to get this. Uh-huh. Once you do that, you're registered. That's it. Right, and the registration is free. It's it doesn't free. cost you anything. Mm-hmm. And you can get out of it anytime you want yeah, just by absolutely. disabling it. And you're not ever, ever, ever going to get any kind of spam or any kind of garbage from us because the last thing we want to do is hassle people. Oh, exactly. We're not going to sell you email address or pass it on to anyone else or send you unsolicited email, any of that kind of junk. It actually is very, very, very simple. It just proves that you are an individual. Now, when you go in and you type in your cell phone number, to get a text, you uh-huh. also, there's going to be a little confirmation code that'll go out to your cell phone. You get this confirmation code, you key it in. That just keeps someone from going in maliciously, putting someone else's number in, Correct. and send them a bunch of texts they don't want to receive. Correct. So there are some safeguards built in there. Now, once you put it in, you confirm it's you. It never asks again. You can send as many texts as you want to that, and it'll remember you. It remembers uh-huh. your number. And you can actually have a list of numbers in there, like if you want to remind your husband to bring home the bread every <laughs> Bring home your check every Friday night. There you go. <laughs> You put, put that there. That's right. That's right. But real, real neat little system. I think you'll really like it. We're also working on a additional feature that is going to make registration even easier than it is now. It's pretty darn easy now. Correct. But what you will be able to do is take your registration from Facebook or Google or any of those and just import it. Oh, Notice it's just got a little icon there for Facebook, one for Google, one for Yahoo, so on. You can just go in, click that icon, and Google will say, do you want to send this information to Agco? Hit yes, and it'll take that username and that email and automatically import it so you don't even have to type anything in. Right, a whole lot easier. Yeah, you just couldn't get much easier than that (laughs) unless you send somebody over to your house to do it for you. There you go. (laughs) But that's coming on probably be another two or three weeks before I can round up enough energy to sit down and (laughs) program all that in. (laughs) Pop on there and see what you think, www.agcoauto.com. We think you'll really, really like it. Yeah, a lot of great information there. Yeah. Hey, we're going to go ahead and take a quick little break. We'll be right back with more 1150 WJBO. Travel my way, take the highway, that's the best. I get your kicks. Okay, look, you've been at the Red Box for 10 minutes and you've got about 30 movies. Yeah, you roll in here with that car with the brake screeching and the bald tires, and then you ask to cut in line because you're in a hurry. Look, it is 2012, and according to the Mayan calendar, the world ends on December 21st. So I'm trying to watch all the movies I can before then. So no car repairs either, right? Who's got time for that? Unless you believe the world will end this year, car maintenance and repair is not something to put off. Come to Agco 
Automotive and let us show you how we can keep your car in tip-top shape and operating at the lowest overall cost. So, no car maintenance? All movies till December 21st? Yep. I'm stocking up on all the classics, too. Gone with the Wind, Citizen Kane, Alvin and the Chipmunks, The Squeakwool. <laughs> I, already saw the first I knew he was crazy. Yep. Want to learn more about why Agco is the place to go? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Welcome back. You just joined us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between tools, try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? It's 499-9526. Of course, 225 in case you're outside of our normal calling area. That's right. And that'll get you to our phone lines, which are wide open. Wide open. That's right. So uh, unless you want to just hear us so. sitting here beating our girls for the next hour, you better call in. <laughs> go ahead and put something up there a little more interesting we can talk about. There you go. We had quite a few people this week come in. With noises in their uh-huh. cars, just different kinds of noises. And there are noises that are a problem, and there are noises that really aren't a problem. They're just kind of part of the car getting up. Kind of an annoyance, maybe. Yeah, and on those type noises, if it costs a lot to fix it, and it's really not hurting much of anything, you might elect just to not fix it at all. Sure. Just put up with it. Sure. A little squeak, a little rattle, whatever. Maybe a, maybe a little knock or something like yeah, that on bumps. but... There is also noises that do mean that something else is going wrong that is going to get a lot worse pretty fast. Right, and that's where a professional shop can come in and tell you this needs to be addressed right now. Mm-hmm. And you or need- this needs this can go, say it's just an in-link. Right. It's just making noise right now. If you don't want to fix it right now, you right. don't have to. That's right, and that's where you need a trusted professional because – if you go to the wrong place, of course, they're going to try to tell you everything is an emergency. It has to be done right now, which is simply not the case. And we have gotten quite a few of those in the last week's business. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, guys, people come in with a laundry list. They've been somewhere else. And right. You need all this right now. You yeah. can't even leave. Yeah, if you go in with a relatively minor problem and no real symptoms and you get a big long list, that certainly is a red flag to have it. It doesn't mean you don't need it. You possibly could. But Correct. Certainly want to get a second opinion on that. That's right. But one thing we get a lot, as cars get older, they have motor mounts on them. And a motor mount is nothing more than a glorified piece of rubber with some metal bonded to it that holds the engine and transmission in the car. Correct. And the reason that we have a motor mount rather than just bolting the engine straight up is because engines vibrate. All engines vibrate. Right. And if it weren't for the motor mount, your entire car would shake all the time. And it'd be a pretty good shake. It'd be very, very annoying. Oh, it is very annoying. So what the manufacturers have done is they've placed a big block of rubber between the motor and the body of the car so that when the motor shakes, the rubber actually absorbs it. Now, the thing is, over the years, that rubber tends to pack down. It tends to dry rot. And inevitably, it's going to crack and separate from the backing. And when that occurs, you're going to start to pick up some vibration. You're going to start to pick up some noise. In many cases, it's just kind of what I call part of the car getting a little older. Right. Now, some of these motor mounts can be obscenely expensive. Oh, most definitely, because some of them are actually have a hydraulic oil. That's right. In the middle of They're them. They're fluid-filled. Some of them actually have electronic wires. I never have right. figured out exactly what that does. <laughs> but there's electrical wires running into some of them. Uh-huh. They have devices inside of them that vary things from time to time. But... The point is, let's say you go in and there are four motor mounts on your car and they cost $300 each. 
and it's about four or five hours to change them, you're talking about a sizable chunk of change there. Sure. So some of those mounts are buried. Yeah, they're very hard to change. Well, if not having any problems, in other words, the mount hasn't broken to the extent the motor's picking up and slamming down. Uh-huh. Obviously, there are times when you have to change motor mounts. But if it's just a little bit of a rougher idle or maybe a little noise on acceleration, that would be one of those things that I would generally advise someone, well, let's just keep an eye on it. Right. Let's see if it gets worse. See how see how long it takes. Because the fix is worse than the problem. Sure. We're talking $2,000 to fix something that's a minor annoyance. It's a little bit more vibration than you had before. But it's still not shaking your teeth out or anything. It's just a little more vibration. Your car's got 150,000 miles. It's just going to vibrate a little bit more. And what you really don't want to do is go with an inferior mount. Right. Having to spend all that labor to get in there and change them, you use an inferior product. And well, it, sometimes it's even worse than it was before. I've seen aftermarket mounts shake worse than the worn-out original equipment mounts. I've seen them break within two months. That's right. They'll break within a month or two, and they may vibrate a whole lot worse than the original mount did, even with 150,000 miles on That's it. right. So that's one of those things that probably doesn't need to be immediately addressed. And we're going to talk more about that in just a minute, but first we're going to take our phone call. we got Larry online. Good morning, Larry. Morning, guys. Good morning. Hi, question for you. Yes, sir. I have a 2010 Silverado. Okay. The 5.3 uh, active fuel management motor. Yes, sir. Uh-huh. 66,000 miles. It's exactly two years old this, actually this week. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I've got some extra lights on my vehicle. They're strobes. So they don't draw a whole lot of extra electricity. Right. But back, it wouldn't crank the other morning, so I took it to the dealer, mm-hmm. and he changed the battery. 65,000 miles in two years. Am I, am I getting my money's worth out of that original battery, or is there something else? Larry, it's hard to say. If the battery has ever been allowed to go dead, somebody left the lights on one time or something like that, that is drastically going to shorten the life of a battery. So if it ever, I don't know if that ever occurred or not, but if a battery goes dead, it may charge back up, but it's going to come back about 90% of where it was before. Yeah, well, it, I never had to bump it off before. And that's yeah. another strange thing. I tried to bump it off, mm-hmm. and the horn wouldn't blow, the light wouldn't, nothing work. Yeah, yeah, sometimes they do that, man. And batteries, they're not going to last like the batteries did in older cars, simply because the electrical load on the system is so much higher. You know, that yeah. vehicle that you got has a 140-amp alternator, and it is actually has five different charging patterns on it, depending on what it's doing. Like when you go to tow haul, it has one charge pattern. When it gets to a certain voltage, it switches to another charging pattern. I got to say, those products, the late-model GMs, are having some battery problems. We're seeing batteries going out at two to three years on a pretty regular basis. I've got a fleet of those trucks that I maintain. And we've put batteries in quite a few of them. That's kind of a problem they seem to be having with them. Why, I don't know. As a general rule, a battery should last about three years. It's average in the United States is 38 months and slightly less in the South because it's hot. But two years is certainly a little premature. Did they change it for you under warranty? No, not at Well, it had 60,000 miles on it. Yeah, miles don't have anything to do with a battery. That's strictly time. Yeah. That warranty well, don't say how many miles. It just says one year, two years, three years, four years because – See, I can take a battery and sit it on the shelf for six years. It's going to be dead as a hammer. Or I could put 10 million miles on it. It it don't care about miles. It only cares about time. Well, I'm sitting here right now. I'm island at, oh, about 1,800. Uh Uh-huh. And I'm looking at my voltage gauge, and it's got to be right at 12. That's low, man. definitely not at 14. No, that's low. It should be up around 14. Air air conditioner's off. Nah, that's not right, Larry. You got electrical system problems. You're still in the warranty. You need to go back and hold your feet to the fire on that because the battery may very well just be a symptom. It's not getting charged adequately. 
And, and I can tell you that alternator is about 450 bucks in that thing. So you want that covered under warranty if you possibly can. Well, now, a couple, oh, about three weeks ago, I noticed that it wasn't charging good. So I went to my favorite alternator shop, uh-huh. and he put his machines on. He said, hey, your alternators are working. Yeah, but you can't tell that way. That is absolutely I mean, no, no way to I test it like I mean, that. I don't know what he did because yeah. I wasn't watching. Well, and I'm going to tell you, Larry, if he's an old-time alternator guy, he probably thinks you can test it that way because that's what 90% of people in the field actually believe. But that one has management on that alternator, right. and the PCM controls it. Like it says, five different charge strategies. The only right. way to test that is on the vehicle with a Tech 2 scan tool. Okay, well, now I don't know if he used a scan tool or not, but he did test it on the vehicle. Yeah, but I tell you, if he... With the old load machine, probably. Yeah, see, so you put a load machine on there, and it may charge wide open, but it may not be recognizing the proper strategy, and it may be undercharging going down the road. Yeah. If I take and I run... 12 volts into the exciter fields to the B terminal, it's going to charge wide open. All that tells you is it has the capacity to charge. It doesn't okay, say now, whether it is charging. But that alternator well, shouldn't be sitting at 12 volts. I need to ask what's the definition of 36,000 miles or 36 months? Your three years, 36 three covers years, the car, yeah, covers the vehicle. That's general stuff. And right. then there's an extended warranty on powertrain, which is considered the, the engine, the motor, and, and really right. only internally lubricated components. In other words, if the valve cover starts leaking, they ain't going to cover that. And then, if I'm not mistaken, the battery itself has a three-year warranty on it. I, that's right? what I think. Yeah, I mean, that is a six-year battery not from in, Delco. Not included with the 336. The battery has should have its own warranty. Yeah, that's what, what I think. Right. I mean, I'll I... will go back and try to jack them up. I know they charge me $115 for a new battery. Oh, geez. Man. But it's a 48, 60-month battery. Yeah, and, and see, that's... Really, That's, buying anything more than that is kind of a waste of your money, in my opinion. you got 84-month batteries. All you're doing is paying for a warranty. So yeah. I don't have a problem buying a 60-month battery because almost all of them have 60 months on them now. My problem is the battery that came in there has six years written on the side of it. Right. Which, to me, is 72 months. This one's two years right. old. So what's the right. deal here? Now, right. I tell you, too, a lot of Delco batteries have a two-year free replacement on them. In other words, they don't prorate it. I know the Delcos we sell come with a two-year free replacement. If it dies in two years, we hand you another battery, no charge. I'm going to go back and check and see. Maybe they haven't thirsty. Maybe they still got that battery not too far away. They yeah, well, just look on the side of it. It should say something like six-year professional series, I think, is what comes in them new. And I think it's going to be a Group 48 battery in that one. Right. But I would say that's going to have at least – a six-year or five-year prorated warranty, so you should get something back on it. Yeah. And a lot of them have a free replacement interval on there okay. up to a couple of years. So, yeah, I don't think they're treating you quite as good as they could have on that. And, again, I wouldn't go back screaming and hollering. I'd just go back and say, hey, guys, you know, I was looking on the Internet, and I saw Delco's website, and it says two-year free replacement on their batteries and five-year prorated replacement. So what's the deal? Yeah. It seems right. like to me if the battery says – five years and it went two years that i'm looking for two-thirds of my money back you know? Yeah. you know and you might want to get that truck in and have the electrical system checked on it yeah by somebody that knows what's going on i think it. you may have a little charging issue going on there because that ought to be up around 14 volts especially Just, at 1800 rpm well, right now drop down to about 1100 rpm and it's still on that about 12. 12 volts yeah that's a little low man because see the battery itself the base voltage on a battery is about 12 8 you, know, yeah. you just take a voltmeter and put it across the battery, not even being charged, it's going to be around 12.8. Right. 
So if the alternator is doing anything at all, that ought to be up around minimum of about 13.5 to 14.5 somewhere, and 14 is about the average. It's definitely below 13. Tell you what you do, Larry. You sitting in the truck right now? Yeah, I got it up now to 2700. Push tow haul button on the end of your shifter and see if it jumps up. Not yet. Nope. Has not changed? Nope. Because, see, that tells you right there something's wrong. Because when you go to tow haul mode, it's supposed to kick the alternator wide open. Okay. So it sounds like you got something going wrong. It may not be it's dead yet, right. but it's just getting okay, there. Okay, there's an indicator here on the speed arm with the little trailer. Tells me that I press that button. Right, yeah. that just tells you press yeah. the button. But that should okay. kick the charging strategy over to maximum. Seems like it ought to pick up when you did that. So that may be why that battery died. If say. you're undercharging a battery, or you're putting some in, it's kind of like a checking account. If your deposits yeah. start getting smaller and smaller, you're not going to go broke all overnight, but eventually you're going to have some NSF checks. Same thing well, with that I'm battery. Gonna, I'm going to take it back over, and they're going to check it. Now I need you to alternate, and you said $450. It's expensive, yes, yeah, sir. They... Now, if it's not under warranty, there's no reason in the world to ever go back to the dealer. I'd find a good independent shop to look at that for you because they're going to do a better job for a lower price, in my opinion. All right. I Alrighty. just may take you back to my alternator shop. Just let him rebuild the alternator and be done with it. I mean, well, I just again. get him to check it again. Just explain to him, and he and you don't insult the guy because he probably knows a lot about it. But just say this thing has multiple charging strategies on it, and it just seems to me like this ought to be over twelve volts. Is there some different way maybe you can check it and see what he can do with it? Well, now it did move up to maybe about let's say thirteen. Yeah. Well, that's a lot okay, better. That's better. About thirteen. Uh, Maybe 13.5 now. I'm at 2,000 right. RPM. Now, you're still on your tow haul mode? Still on the trailer mode, yeah. Yeah, see, that's right. going to kick it to a different strategy. You may have something in there that's not putting it into the right strategy. It's got a sensor on that wire that tells it how much voltage is in the system and tells it how to charge, and maybe that sensor could be going bad or something. Right, there may not be anything at all wrong with the alternator. Yeah, alternator could be fine. But it's somewhere just, else. You just got to right. have somebody who can diagnose that for you. Have somebody that knows what they're doing to look at it. Right. But now, okay, now it's at full 14. There you all go. Right. I just... Okay, I just turned that uh, trailer toe off, and it's actually failed just a quarter hair. Yeah, it'll probably eventually go yeah, down. It's, gonna it's not going to be instantaneous. Maybe so. I'll leave the trailer toe on. And- <laughs> well, then you're going to get a different shift pattern. Right, it's going to start and shifting harder and all that, and your gas miles going to go down. Using more fuel. That. That's right. All right. All right, man. Thank you, boss. Good luck, yes, there. sir. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, we got to take one more quick little break. We'll be right back with more on 1150 WJBO. Clint, what's with the huge crate? My 120-inch Platinum 3D TV. Splurging, huh? I'm putting it all on the credit card, and since the Mayan calendar predicts the world ending December 21st, I'll never have to pay it back. That would explain the giraffe and elephant in your backyard. Have you thought about fixing your car, buddy? Your old one is in pretty bad shape. Leaking oil, screeching brakes. My car can make it to December. Plus, I need money to complete my set of life-size Star Wars action figures. Yoda is an expensive one, he is. Unless you believe the world will end this year, car maintenance and repair is not something to put off. Come to Agco Automotive and let us show you how we can keep your car in tip-top shape and operating at the lowest overall cost. You know, if your car won't run, you can always ride your elephant. Great idea. Let me Google elephant license. Uh, Okay, you know I was joking, right? Want to learn more about why AGCO is the place to go? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Hey, welcome back. You just joined us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between the two of us, try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Just go ahead and give us a call, 499-9526. 
And we're going back to our phone lines with Dale. Good morning, Dale. Good morning, Lewis. Yes, sir. I got a kind of a problem, and I don't want to go into too much history on it. Okay. But I recently had to buy another car, and I got a, from an estate, I got a 1995 Cadillac with 85,000 miles. Okay. On. Recently, it died out and took it to a local place. Uh-huh. And they said the battery was needing replacement, so okay. I the battery. Uh-huh. But in one of the rainstorms, why, the car again died. Yes, sir. I have the computer on the thing is showing uh, charging quite satisfactory. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. But the lights are on all the time on that model. Can't turn them off if the car is running. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Well, now let me ask you this, Dale. When it died, did it start right back up, or did you have to sit for a while, or what? We sat for a little while, and then it started right back up. Okay. So it's probably not going to be a charging system issue of any kind. Because if it were, once a battery goes dead, it's not going to come right back. You'd have to jump it off or right. charge the battery to get it to start. It's not going to come back enough to crank the vehicle. Right. Now, is that a 4.6 liter or a 4.9 liter, or do you know? Frankly, I do not know. Because right around that time is when they went from the old 4.9 to the newer 4.6 liter. It's a different engine. The reason I asked, the 4.6 had a good deal of trouble with dying like that. And they had a lot of problems. There's two crank sensors on the front of the motor. And they had a lot of trouble with those two crank sensors and with the harness going to the two crank sensors. And one of the classic symptoms is when you're driving in the rain and you hit a little puddle of water and the water splashes up on them, it'll die. And then the heat of the engine will eventually evaporate the water out of the connector, and then may go ahead and start again. I can't tell you for sure that's it, but that is one fairly common issue that they did have on the 4.6 liter engine. Now, if it's a 4.9, forget that because they didn't have that trouble with the 4.9. Okay. And it'll be pretty easy to tell. You can raise the hood, and there's a little emissions identification label. In a little bitty tiny writing that nobody can read, at the very bottom of that label, it's going to say 4.6 or 4.9 liter. Okay. And you might just check that. The only other thing you can be able to do, Dale, unfortunately on a 95, that is pre-OBD2. It stores almost no data. So for someone to find that, it's going to have to occur while they have it in the shop with equipment on it, which is going to be very, very difficult to find. What you might do is just drive it around and see if there's some pattern to when it does it. In other words, every time I drive on a rainy day, this occurs. Or it only occurs after I've driven for about three hours. Or it generally occurs first thing when I start it up, or whatever the pattern may be. And I know you don't want to hear this, but you're going to probably have to drive it until it gets fairly consistent, where it's doing it every day. Because if it's doing it once every two or three weeks, you bring it to the shop, they're going to drive it and drive it and drive it. It's just not going to do anything, and they're not going to be able to find that. I understand that. That's why I was calling you, because mm-hmm. I was wanting your wisdom. Oh, yeah. And I'm going to tell you, Dale, the absolute worst thing in the world you can do is go somewhere and, well, let's try this. Because you can run out of money way before they run out of guesses. I will assure you that. Yes, I, I know what you're saying. <laughs> is there any way to fix that problem on the what was it, the 4.6? The 4.6, six, yeah, you can replace the crank sensors if that's what the problem is, or the harness, and either one of those is not. The sensors are a little more expensive than the harness, but, I mean, it's not thousands of dollars. It's a few hundred dollars, but I would sure want to see it do it. Now, what we do sometimes, Dale, is we would get the car in, hook a digital lab scope up to that 
sensor bank, you know, the two sensors, take a little spray bottle with some water and just kind of mist some water on them and see if we can duplicate it. If I do that and it fumbles and dies and my signal drops out on the crank, well, yeah, I can, I can identify that. Another thing is, of course, we get in, we shake the wires around. Another thing, we could take a heat gun and kind of warm it up. So we're not 100% helpless. There are some things we can do. It's just if we cannot duplicate it, then we're just guessing because there's no way to know what the problem is, and that vehicle just doesn't store a lot of data. Right. Okay. All righty. Right the beginning of the computers on the cars. Am I right? Well, they had been on there several years. They started putting computers on cars back in the late 70s, but in 1996, they went to OBD2, which is a little bit more involved standard where they kind of standardized a lot of things, and they stored a little more data after that point. And, of course, the later they get, the more they store. Of course, the more gadgets they put on there, so the harder and harder they get to fix anyway. But a post-96 model car is generally going to be a little bit easier to diagnose than a pre-96. Right. Now, the other side of the coin is you can get an inspection on that and with the light would check engine light on. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you don't fall under the emission standard on that one. So that's that's kind of a trade-off. Between two, you might have pulled better on that deal. <laughs> right. Okay. All righty. I wondered what was going on. And yeah. I, I doubt it's a charging system problem. More likely... Those crank sensors were fairly common on the 4.6. On the 4.9, it didn't have that problem. I'm trying to remember. That's going back a ways. But it seems to me we had some trouble with fuel pumps on those. When they would get hot after driving a while, the fuel pump would start dropping out and the engine would die. And you let it cool off and it would come back and run until it got hot again. But again, these are all guesses. The whole key, Dale, is just duplicating it in the shop. I can put a fuel pressure gauge on it. I can hook a digital lab scope to it. And I'm all set. As long as it will act up. I can say, okay, well, I've got fuel pressure, so we know that's not it. I can say, well, okay, there's the crank sensor dropping out. There's the cam sensor dropping out. There's the ignition call dropping out. I can, as long as I can see it do it, I can tell you there's no guessing involved. I can identify it electronically. It's right. just that if it runs fine and can't put a guy in there at $88 an hour and just let him drive around for 10 hours. You're not going to like that. You're not going to like that. So what we generally do is tell people to drive it and see if they can establish a pattern. You know, it's every time I drive it for two hours or more, it happens. Okay, well, then go drive it for an hour and 45 minutes and bring it to me. Well, the only time, the only time we have seen it mm -hmm. is when it is raining rather heavily. Yeah, and see, that's a good indication. indication. So kind of keep some notes on everything, when it does it, what seems to bring it on, what makes it worse, when it occurs, you know, if it occurs again, that kind of thing. And if you can get a pattern, then you, there's it's going to kind of eliminate a whole lot of possibilities for you. Because, see, the fuel system is generally not going to be affected at all by rain, one way or the other. Right. We're looking more at an electrical-type problem. Check and see if it's a 4.6 liter. I would start out with those crank sensors, go in there, shake them, move them, put a scope on them, see if we can pick up any interference on lines or anything like that, because that was fairly common on those. Okay. All right. Thanks very much. Okay, Enjoy Dale. Your program. Yes, Thank sir. You. Thanks, Colin, man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 499-9526, number if you want to be part of the automotive, I would love to have you. That intermittent problem like that is one of the things, I know it aggravates people it a does. lot. And it aggravates the shop as well. But you got to remember, unless the shop is just willing to start guessing, and if he guesses and guesses right, then he's a great guy. But if you guess and guesses wrong, you spend a bunch of money, you still got the same exact problem. Exactly. So guessing doesn't really help anybody because 
you really haven't gained anything. You still don't know if the car is any more reliable. Right. And with an intermittent problem like that, it has to act up on the technician when while he's, he's got, got his instrumentation on it. So right. you can see what is actually occurring. Exactly. Now, you can't see fuel pressure dropping out. No. Not, you, not you without can, a gauge. Well, you can say it feels like it's running out of gas. But what does that feel like? That feels exactly like when a spark goes away or exactly. like when the cam timing goes away or when the crank timing goes away or any of another hundred things. So you just can't guess at that because we had a guy come in the shop a little earlier this week and his truck quit running. So uh-huh. the first thing he does is go put a fuel pump on it. Well, it still doesn't run. Sure. So then he puts that injectors in it. Well, it still doesn't run. <laughs> Finally, he toes it in. We found the distributor was bad. bad. Right. And he said, well, it felt like it was running out of gas. Well, what does that feel like? Well, a motor died. Okay. okay. Well, a lot it, of other things that kill yeah, the motor too. That's right. All kinds of things. Right. You know, like I say, you just can't guess at it. You're gonna have to have some instrumentation on there so you can see what's going on. Exactly. And then you can test and see, and that way you can go to a proper diagnosis the first time. It's gonna be a lot less expensive. It's just gonna require a little bit of patience. Exactly. Now all our phone lines are lit up. We got Jude online. Good morning, Jude. Good morning. Yes, Good morning. Sir. Got a 2000 Jeep Grand Cherokee. Uh huh. Uh, having some transmission issues. Okay. Uh, it won't shift into third gear unless it is warm. Temperature-wise outside or mm-hmm. the engine warm-up. In the wintertime, I've got to ride it in second gear for a while, and it'll eventually shift into third. Or, like, if it's 90 degrees outside. Now, I once get... it goes third, it just keeps shifting fine for the rest of the day? Yeah. The rest of the day, it seems to be fine. You Dude, know? that is probably going to be something on the outside of the transmission. That's not going to be a transmission problem. That's going to be one of the sensors on the outside that's not sending the signal until it gets warmed up. You're going to need to bring that into the shop and leave it with them the night before so that they've got it cold. Okay. Then they can read the inputs to the transmission and see which one is not there. There's about 10 or 15 different inputs that a transmission uses to tell it when to shift. One is what they call a throttle position sensor. Another is a speed sensor. Another is a map sensor. And on and on, if one of those sensors doesn't read, it's going to tell the computer that, hey, this is wrong, and so it's probably not going to shift. Now, the worst thing to do is take it to a transmission shop and yeah. tell them I need a transmission. <laughs> How much to rebuild transmission? Right. That's the worst thing you I guarantee you, you will walk out of there with rebuild transmission and the same problem. Well, that's what a couple of people have suggested. Oh, well, you just need to put a transmission yeah, in. Yeah, okay. It. Well, that's good. Do, do that, but when you still got the same problem, bring it to me and I'll tell you what's wrong with it. Right. Because <laughs> the transmission is controlled from the outside. Okay. So you could put well, transmission yeah. in it all day long. It's not going to fix that problem. Okay, so that one in particular, all those shift solenoids or whatever the heck they are, are located outside the transmission? No, the solenoids are inside the transmission. The sensors that operate the solenoids are inside the transmission. Right. Now, it could be a solenoid that's hanging up, but I could sure be. wouldn't start with that. You know, I'd start with, with putting a pressure gauge, outside. getting the NYS code, putting a pressure gauge on it, seeing if the pressure arises, seeing if I'm getting control and command from the sensors. Now, if I got command from all the sensors and the pressure's not rising, okay, now we're inside the transmission. Again, doesn't mean you need a rebuilt transmission. It could be a hung-up solenoid or something. So there's any number of things. Just the most common is going to be something outside. Right. Back in the day before transmissions were computer-controlled, if it quit pulling, yeah, you probably needed a transmission. Well, you went to a junkyard, got a transmission, put in a fixed problem. Right. Now, now not only are you going to blow about three grand, you still have the same problem. Right. Right. Okay. All righty. Well, I sure appreciate okay, it. Okay, You're welcome, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, 499-9526, number if you want to be part of the automotive iron. We've got Jim on the line. Good morning, Jim. Good morning, Lewis. Yes, sir. I have a question for you. you. Bet. I have a Ford F53 
frame under a motorhome. Okay. okay. Yes, sir. Rear end, the sway bar. Bushings are shot. Okay. okay. Mm-hmm. It's an 03 model. Okay. Y'all do that kind of work? First question. Second question, you just replace the bushings or you replace the whole sway bar? Just replace the bushings, Jim. It just depends. If it will fit into my shop, I've got 10 by 10-foot 10 doors. Anything that can come through those doors, I can fix. Now, if it's bigger than that, I, it'd just be too large for me. I don't have anything that'll pick it up or any way to get under it. But it's not a real difficult job. What they would probably have to do is measure the diameter of that bushing and then go to forward and match it up with something because I don't know that there's going to be a chart or anything that's going to give you that. It's not okay. like a car or a truck where you can just give them the VIN number and they can give you the right part. Okay. But it's going to probably be a standard. It'll be an inch, inch and a half, inch and a sixteenth, inch and a quarter, whatever diameter sway bar. And most of those, the bushings are very, very similar. So as long as you got the right diameter, it fits the bracket. You know, it's not that hard to, to figure okay. that out. I've seen a lot of advertisers that you need a bigger sway bar than what stock on them. Well, you can. The bigger sway bar just keeps from leaning as much. It's going to, at the expense of a little bit rougher ride. But on a vehicle that heavy, I don't know if you're going to notice the ride differential. You could go with a bigger bar. It just costs you a little more, but it's going to come with bushings, so it eliminates right. the problem of having to hunt bushings up. Yeah. And probably not that expensive. All right. Is it something fairly handy person can work? Yeah, absolutely. Sure. If you got a way to get under it, or if, like, it lifts itself, like yeah, some of them do. Yeah, you can jack it up and crawl under it on a creeper. You should be able to do that real easy. Jim, that's not a real tough job. Probably five or six bolts. Okay. All righty. All right. All right, thank you much. Okay, Jim. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. Thank you. you. Bye-bye. All right, we got to take a quick little break. John, Cal, hang on. You guys be straight up after this break. Hey, Clint, what's that? Take a look. It's my bucket list of things to do before the world ends. Okay. According to the Mayan calendar, the world goes kaput on December 21st, 2012. I got lots to do, neighbor. Uh, bog snorkeling? Punch a whale? Compete in the World Toe Wrestling Championship? I see Meet Julia Roberts is scratched off. Yeah, got her autograph, too. Really? Well, it's on the restraining order. Hey, shouldn't repair my car be on the list? What? Your, your brakes, they're constantly squealing, it shimmies and shakes and leaking oil all over I the think place. I can make it to December. Unless you believe the world will end this year, car maintenance and repair is not something to put off. Come to Agco Automotive and let us show you how we can keep your car in tip-top shape and operating at the lowest overall cost. Hey, um, isn't this one here illegal? Not in Tijuana, my friend. Want to learn more about why Agco is the place to go? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O Hey, welcome back. If you just joined us, it's the Automotive Hour on 1150 WJBO. My name is Louis Aldezan. i got Brian Terry, my co-pilot, sitting right here on the side. Between two of us, we'll answer any automotive questions you might have. We're going back to our phone lines with Cal. Good morning, Cal. Good morning. Yes, sir. Brother, how are you guys? Doing, Doing great, great, man. Great. I got a 99 F-150 mm-hmm. Ford pickup Okay. with a 4.2 liter. Mm-hmm. V6. Uh-huh. And I got a code that said that number six misfire. Okay. And I changed out the plugs and I put motocraft spark yes, plugs okay. and wires uh-huh. and O2 sensor and MAF sensor. Well, Cal, you are wasting a whole, whole bunch of money there. Because, see, the MAP sensor and the oxygen sensor cannot produce a misfire one cylinder because they control all the cylinders equally. So before you go waste any more money, what you got to do is take a logical approach to this. 
Okay, what that means is that that misfire is on one cylinder. This is things that only affect that one cylinder. The first thing you do, you take the spark plug out number five, and you move it to number six. You move the one from number six to number five, then you check it again. If the misfire moves, you got a defective plug, which happens all the time. If that don't do it, you take the spark plug wire from number five, you move it to number six. And you just keep on doing that. You take the injector out of number five, move it to number six. If you do all that, swap all the parts, the misfire stays on number six, you need to check the compression on it and see if you got adequate compression on that cylinder because you could have a burnt valve or something like that. But anything like a MAP sensor, mass airflow sensor, oxygen sensor, that affects all the cylinders equally, cannot produce a misfire on one cylinder. Fuel pump, all that. Don't waste your money. All righty? Okay. Okay, man. I appreciate it. Thanks, Cam. All right, sir. Bye-bye. Okay, thank you, guys. Huh? Alright, 499-9526 number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we'd love to have you. And John's been patiently holding. Good morning, John. Hey, good morning, guys. Good I morning. Head, I got a real head scratcher for okay. you. Okay. My wife has a 2006 Accord that okay. she has been taking to the dealership ever since we've bought it for oil changes. Okay. 4,500 miles ago, she goes in and does an oil change. And here day before yesterday, she blows an engine because the engine has no oil in it. Okay. Now, I've looked. There are no leaks. That yeah. oil pan, that oil pan is pristine. Yeah, uh, it's, it's probably burning some oil, John. 4,500 miles between changes, in my opinion. I know they tell you you can do that, but, man, that's asking for problems. What's going to happen is, if let's say you're burning a quart of oil every 1,000 miles, which is not a huge amount of oil. Right. Well, in 4,500 miles, you're going to burn four and a half quarts of oil. And that's what it holds. Which is what it holds. And you'll burn the yeah. engine up. Now, I can tell you, Honda's thing- position is it's your responsibility to check the oil. Right. I already know that that part of the answer. <laughs> yeah, I know that, too. The only thing that I was kind of thinking about here is that the tailpipe didn't look. Will not. not. You can't, not can't go it. by that, man. You got three catalytic converters on that car. They're going to vaporize any oil that comes out that engine. You're never going to see it at the tailpipe. Oh, you're not going to? No, absolutely not, no. no. Yeah, because I guess with all my previous experience, whatever, I had a... Yeah, well, on a 70-model Barracuda, yeah, that worked, but not on a Honda, no, sir. <laughs> the catalytic converter is going to vaporize that all. So, I mean, you're in a position now where either you're going to have to trade the car, take a loss on it, or put another motor in it. What I would do if it were me, not to poke my advice in where it's not welcome, but I would try to find a used motor with lower miles and swap it over simply because Honda does not sell a rebuilt motor per se. They sell a short block. But yeah. by the time you buy a short block and the cylinder heads and the gaskets and all that stuff, man, it's going to cost you a fortune. Honda motors have almost no problem unless they run out of oil or run out of coolant. So we yeah. could probably find a later model, lower mileage engine, put it in. You could drive the car for several more years and then still get some money out of it. The other option is walk away right now, but you're going to take a bath on it because without a motor, zip. Yeah, right. well, what kind of money do you guys talk about when you do something like that? Man, you need to get the car to me so I can see what you got, what motor, and all that kind of stuff. But you probably anywhere from, from three dollars to $4,500 somewhere. Okay. All righty. All right. Thank you, guys. Okay, Appreciate John. It. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. 499-9526 is the number. We're going to try to squeeze one more call in here. Curtis, can you make it pretty quick? Yeah, I think so. All I right. got a Toyota FJ Cruiser. Uh huh. 
with the, its uh, spec for the synthetic oil. And I've yes, been hearing that's y'all talk about not going too long in the oil change, even though they recommend 10,000 miles. Yeah, that's ridiculous, man. I don't know if you heard the last call, guy putting an engine in a Honda just because of that. Curtis, I'm going to tell you, since they went to these ridiculous oil change intervals, our uh-huh. engine replacement business is up about 5,000%. Uh-huh. I mean, we're putting engines in. I've got a 2007 Escalade Kinda. in the shop right now at 109000 We're putting an engine in it. Wow. You're Ooh. never going to save enough money on oil changes to make up the difference. Well, let me tell you what I'm thinking about. Okay. Their, their, their service period is 5,000 miles. Right. What Toyota's service period is. I'm just wanting to change it every 5,000. Yeah, you depends on how you drive, Curtis. Do you, what's your average trip? How far you go at a time? Well, the, tr- the truck, and I heard y'all say something about severity. I drive it to Dallas it's about once a month, maybe okay. something like that. Yeah, yeah, but how about your average that, trip, though? But other than that, it kind of sits up on the weekend. I mean, I, I drive it only on the weekend pretty sits much. Sits up a it's lot? Up, Man. Sits up during the week. I'd be yeah. changing it at 3000 Curtis. Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, an, an engine in a Toyota is about ten grand. Uh-huh. And rear main seal is about probably 1000 bucks, And uh-huh. valve cover gaskets are five, 600 bucks. What happens when you don't change it all off enough, the seals start getting hard, man. They start leaking. They start losing compression, start losing oil pressure. It's just a sucker's deal, man. You can buy even synthetic oil. You can buy an awful lot of oil for what one repair is going to cost you. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I mean, okay. those extended oil changes have made me a rich man. Uh-huh. I mean, they really okay. have. Our engine work is just phenomenal, the amount that we got to do. and it's, It all goes back to that. How can they get away with that kind of stuff? Well, they're in the business of selling new cars, man. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's advice. It's not good advice. Yeah. It's just yeah. advice. Yeah. Uh-huh. So take it with a grain of salt. That's it. Hey, That's man, it. I am sorry we are totally out of time. I want to tell everybody how much I appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And tell your friends. We'll get some more people listening. That's right. Mm-hmm. And go on iTunes and subscribe. That way you'll automatically get our show downloaded into your inbox every single time it comes on the air. You don't have to worry about doing it. There you go. And if you don't mind, give us a rating. That'll get us up on the charts. Helps chart. us out and makes me feel good. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend. Thank you.